All right. Well, hey, if you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to get to Luke chapter 7. If you need a Bible, just stick your hand way up in the air. Somebody will come around and hand you one. But keep it up till they get to you. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. Luke 7, starting in verse 36 is where we're going to spend our time tonight. One announcement, big announcement. Collide registration is open. So you need to go sign up right now because early registration does end the beginning of December and you're thinking, oh, I've got plenty of time, but you'll wait. You'll go on Thanksgiving break. You'll get in a turkey coma, forget to sign up and won't get the early registration gift and you'll be sad about that. So go sign up, go sign up. Listen, listen to me. Everybody give me your eyes. If you in this moment are thinking, I have no idea what Collide is, ask anyone here is literally the best thing we do. So go and sign up bayarea.church slash collide. You aren't going to want to miss it. So make sure you get signed up. Luke chapter seven, Luke chapter seven, starting in verse 36. It was this time between Jenny and I being friends and uh, her being my girlfriend. It was that awkward time. We were in college and uh, we went to a mutual friend's house for a game night. We were hanging out and I brought one of my friends who was happened to be my roommate in college. He came with me and we were hanging out over there. And uh, I don't remember quite how it happened, but my friend needed to leave or he wanted to leave or whatever. So we ended up leaving. I didn't say bye to Jenny. Rule, uh, rule number one, say bye. Right. So didn't say bye. We leave. She texts me. You didn't say bye. You left. I was like, my bad, girl. You know, I didn't I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But we start this text exchange back and forth, and it's just kind of nonsense, I would imagine. And then I catch the boldness in me to text something that, guys, if you're just, if you're listening, this is the dumbest thing to do. Don't do what I did. I text this girl who... I'm interested in, but she doesn't really know. And she's interested in me and I know. Listen, I text this to her. Again, stupid. So be honest with me, Jenny. How much do you like me? Question mark. Send. Let me repeat myself. Let me repeat myself, stupid, right? So I imagine, listen, I imagine, you know, talking to my wife about this today, we laugh about it today. I married her, I won, that works out. But listen, I imagine she's thinking all kinds of things like, do I respond to that? Do I say like, you're a moron? Listen, girls, if a guy ever texts you that, you bring me the phone, I'll respond and say, you are stupid just just like ball him up punt him to the curb he gone kind of thing right but she's like she's 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 wavering in herself do i respond what do i say how does this go you know like uh i imagine I, i'm imagining this right like i imagine she's showing her friends she's like do you did you see what he takes what am i supposed to say to that i don't even what kind of question is that what a, like what kind of dude actually asks this kind of thing but because she is so sweet she responds Here's how she responds. To be honest with you, I like you a lot. My f- 
My feelings are growing stronger. But we have a good friendship. I don't want to mess that up. Something to that effect, right? So she, she, she puts it out there. I've got feelings for you. They're getting stronger. So you would expect me to be like, sweet, I got feelings for you too. You know what I do? I do not respond. I ghosted her. Again, stupid. Listen, 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 listen. Not for an hour. Not for two hours, all night until the next day. No response. No response, right? Now, in that silence, my now wife began to fill in the blanks with her friends. What does he think? Does he not like me? Does he not think I'm pretty? What's going on? Is he, like, did he get in a car wreck? Maybe he just, maybe his phone broke. Like, that's what, it, no, that's probably what it is. That's probably what it is. He just couldn't respond. Like, maybe he doesn't have signal where he is right now. I'm not sure. That's probably what it is. He just, like, he, maybe an alligator ate his phone. I don't know. He just didn't respond. And so in the silence, in, the, in a place where there should be talking and there wasn't, she filled in the gaps and it caused all kinds of chaos. Now it worked out. I was I had a face-to-face conversation with her, told her how I felt. We started dating, got engaged, got married, so winner winner. All right. Now listen, listen. Here's why I tell you that. Because there are certain topics that aren't talked about in Christian circles, that aren't talked about in the church. And in the silence, in the place where there should be conversation, people fill in the blanks. And what happens is chaos. And there are a lot of issues that aren't talked about in the church and in Christian circles that you face, that you are dealing with, that you have dealt with, that you will walk through. And what will happen is when they're not talked about, or if they're not talked about, what will happen is you will go to this place. If this is true, if, if, if we're not talking about these things in the place where people are supposed to be followers of God, then what must God think about me if I deal with these things? And in the silence, chaos is created. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to step into these areas in this series called We Don't Talk About That. And what we want to do is talk about it. We want to bring up issues that aren't typically brought up. Not to make you uncomfortable, not to make you squirm, none of that. But to say, these ought to be talked about. Because if God is God, then God knows all things, that God has all knowledge. And if the Bible's authoritative, then I'm willing to bet it has something to say about these things. So we're going to look into the scriptures and deal with these things, hopefully in a faithful, biblical way. Not just giving you information about these topics, but asking this question. How does Jesus engage with the people that deal with these issues? What does God think about this? And so tonight we're going to step into this issue, this issue of sexuality. That, by God's grace, has become more talked about in the church than it ever has. 
That's a gift. However, there are moments that we slip back into that subject becoming off limits and saying, we don't talk about that. We don't go to that length. We don't bring that up. And as a result, those of you, those of us who have sexual issue baggage, ask the question, what must God think about me if we can't talk about this? I've got baggage. What does God think about me? And so I want to answer that question as we look at Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. Follow along with me. I'll read 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought in an alabaster flask of ointment, And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50 denarii. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she is not... She has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So let me set the scene for you. A Pharisee, a religious leader, kind of a big wig in the religious community, invites Jesus, the new rabbi, on the scene to his house. Hey, rabbi, Jesus, come over to my house. Let's have dinner together. So they are gathered around a table. They're laying down, right, like head toward the food, feet out, laying down, having dinner together, probably sharing some kind of religious theological conversation because he's a Pharisee. Jesus is a rabbi. I'm sure they're having a significant conversation. The door is probably open to his house because Jesus is a prominent figure in the community. So people have probably come and gathered around this guy's house to be like, let's just hear what's going on in there. It's a really... It must be great conversations to Pharisee and Jesus. That's a big deal. So we want to listen. Maybe people would even be on the outsides of the room on the walls listening to this conversation because it could be that riveting. It would probably be that kind of scene. And all of a sudden, this woman busts in. And who comes to Jesus? Look at verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair and her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. This woman, who has no invitation to come to that table, busts in. 
and comes to Jesus and is weeping and anointing his feet and wiping his feet and kissing his feet and is overflowing in emotion and gratitude. But the Bible describes her as a woman of the city who was a sinner. Now, it's speculation what her issue was. It's popular to think that she was a prostitute. That's a fair guess. So imagine the scene. Let's go with that. Imagine the scene. Rabbi, Pharisee, people are looking. The city prostitute rolls in. Nobody's like, oh yeah, what's up, Lisa? How's it going? Yeah, welcome. Everybody's probably freaking out. And she's just overwhelmed with emotion. Coming to Jesus. Pouring out tears. Anointing his feet. Whether or not she's a prostitute is not told from the Bible. However, what we do know is she's a sinner. And that sin has provided baggage for her. A lot like the baggage that we carry. The sexual baggage that we carry. And so for many of you, you do carry sexual baggage. And here's what I mean by that. I mean that you carry baggage from some mistakes that you have made in that area. That maybe you blew up the boundary with your boyfriend or your girlfriend because it just felt like the right thing and I felt like I loved him or I felt like he loved me or whatever it was and we just blew up the boundary. We did whatever it took. I did whatever it took to feel like I was loved. I did whatever it took in order to feel like I was a man. And we went there and we did that. and We did whatever we wanted. And now as you look back, what you think is, that's not what I wanted and you carry that sexual baggage with you. It's heavy. Or maybe that's not it for you. Maybe for some of you, you struggle. You struggle with same-sex attraction. Maybe for some of you, you even identify as homosexual. Maybe for some of you, you identify as transgender. That you, you have this struggle in you of like, I don't know who I am. And maybe you've even stepped into that community and made some mistakes that you look back and you say, that's not what I wanted to do, but I've been there and I've done that. And now I carry baggage because of it. And maybe for some of you, it's not what you've done with your boyfriend or girlfriend or some guy or girl or what you've done because you're same-sex attracted or whatever. Maybe for many of you, it's because of what you look at on the screen that you take in image after image of a woman or a man, video after video, because you feel like it gives you what you need. You feel like it's going to satisfy you. And in the moment, it feels right. In the moment, it feels okay. But on the backside, you just feel more guilty. On the backside, you just feel more ashamed of the things that you looked at. And you know what you're doing? You're carrying baggage now. Feeling bad. Because you stepped in the world of pornography and you can't get out. So many of us have baggage. We have baggage in regards to these issues of sexuality. It's pervasive. You swim in this culture. It's everywhere. If you haven't had to fight against this, you will. I'm not saying you will lose to it, but I'm saying you will have to fight. So we ought to know. 
what does God do with people who have stepped into those worlds and blown it? Because I don't need to sit here or I don't need to stand here and convince you that these things are wrong. You're well aware. You carry the shame as a result of it. My effort is not to make you feel guilty. My effort is to bring clarity about what Jesus does in relationship to those who have made these mistakes. So let's look at it. Let's keep going in the passage. Look at verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So the Pharisee witnesses, homegirl rolls in, she's a sinner, potentially the town prostitute, we're not sure. But she rolls into this dinner that she was not invited to. She has no, no place at this table. She rolls in and the Pharisee thanks to himself, does not say this out loud, thanks to himself. If Jesus were really a prophet, he would not let this girl even touch her. And here's what he's thinking. If sinners touch us, we are considered unclean. This is the ceremonial law that we believe. If Jesus, you are a Jew and you're a prophet, you should know that. Then you would know what kind of woman she is and you wouldn't let her touch you. The response of the religious leader is first to identify the woman by her past mistakes. He thinks to himself, that woman's a sinner. I know her reputation. She's from this town and I'm from this town and everybody knows what she's about. He identifies her by her past mistakes, which I'm sure brings all kinds of shame and brings all kinds of fear. If you're this woman, imagine what has to happen to you for you to break into this room and just, and just abandon whatever, whatever reputation you might have, whatever shame that you might feel in order to get to Jesus. And she does it. But the religious leader thinks about her and identifies her by her past mistakes. For many of you, this is where you live. The identity that you carry are the mistakes that you've made. And maybe people at your schools or in your communities identify you by your mistakes. Look at me. You're not your mistakes. You'll never be your mistakes. Jesus offers something different. The second way that he responds to her is he thinks that Jesus ought to avoid her and any like her. She doesn't belong there. He thinks to himself, if Jesus were really a prophet, he wouldn't let this girl touch him. She's a sinner. She doesn't belong here. And if you're really religious, you would shove her out. She doesn't belong. Many of you go there. Many of you in moments where you have stepped into sin and made a mistake, you know the first thing that you do? You bail on church because you think that's the right move. You retract from community. You retract out of the church because you're afraid that everybody will see that you don't have it all together. And you run from the very place that you need to be. Because you think, I don't belong there. I don't have it all together. Can I just let you in on a little secret? Everybody that goes to this church is jacked up. That's why we're here. 
We're here looking to the God who takes really jacked up people and makes them whole. You belong here just like everybody else does. So here's the issue that we face. Many of you think the response of the religious leader in this text is exactly how God responds to you when you blow it. That's what we do. When we mess up, when we carry our sexual baggage because of the mistakes that we've made, whether it's on a screen with a person or we've identified in a way that's not honoring to God, we think in our heads, I bet, I bet God says, you don't belong here. I bet God does identify me by my mistakes. I bet God is pushing judgment on me. I bet God is looking at me with shame. I bet that's exactly what God thinks. We take the religious leader's response and say, this must be what God thinks. And we live there. And we live out of that. And you live in shame. And you live in regret. And you live in fear. Because you think God is disappointed with you. Let's look at Jesus' response. Look at verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Pause. Let's think about this for just a second. This guy had a thought in his head about this girl and about Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, bro, I would like to respond to the thought that you just had in your head. Jesus reads his mind. Who's the prophet now? 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he, that's Jesus, said, you have judged rightly. So Jesus tells this parable. Hey, Simon, let me ask you a question. There's two guys. One owes 50 denarii, one owes 500 denarii. It's a debt. The master forgives them. Which one do you think will love the master more? And he answers rightly, the one whom had the bigger debt forgiven. That's right, you got it. Let's keep going. Verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Let's look how Jesus responds. The first thing is this. Jesus welcomes the sinner. He doesn't shove her out. Where the Pharisee thought that Jesus ought to shove her out. Jesus welcomes the sinner. He doesn't shove her out. They're astonished by this, right? Matthew chapter 9, 10 through 13. And Jesus reclined at table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So these religious leaders look at Jesus' disciples and say, hey, answer us a question. Your rabbi eats with tax collectors and sinners. This is confusing to us because we would be considered unclean if we did that. Verse 12. But when he heard it, that's Jesus, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. 
go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus welcomes the sinner because he is the one who is the healer of their sin. Jesus isn't welcoming sinners just to say like, hey, everybody can be somebody and be however you want to be right here with me. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is welcoming the sinner not to leave them as they are, but to come and receive the healing from the only one who provides it. Jesus welcomes the sinner. He doesn't shove them out. So look at me. That's how Jesus receives you. So if you're carrying your baggage and your sexual mistakes Jesus welcomes the sinner. He doesn't shove you out. How else does he respond? Jesus tells the truth about her sin. Look at verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Jesus tells the truth about this woman's sin he says to simon her sins which are many are forgiven he doesn't cheapen it he doesn't ease the blow he tells it like it is this is sin she has made mistakes i'm not sugarcoating it i'm not taking it away from the fact that she messed up he tells the truth about her sin but he extends grace now here's the deal Many of you make the mistake of thinking that grace must mean that God makes our sin no big deal. God says our sin is no big deal. Maybe grace must mean that God thinks that our sin is not that big of a deal. That would be wrong. Grace is not God saying your sin is not a big deal. Grace is God saying your sin is such a big deal. In fact, it's a really big deal. You incurred a significant debt that you will never pay back, but I've loved you enough to send my son to pay the debt for you. That is grace. And let me tell you, that grace is way better than looking at your sin and saying it's not that big of a deal. So yes, Jesus welcomes the sinner. But Jesus also will call sin, sin. Coming to Jesus is not coming to the one who says, hey, act how you want, live how you want, be how you want. Everybody can do whatever they want to do in front of me. No, he is a holy God who is welcoming the sinner and identifying sin as sin. And yet, what we're going to see is that he extends grace. Look at verse 47 again. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she has loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Jesus looks at this woman who truthfully doesn't belong in that scenario. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine being that woman? You've shouldered the baggage and the shame and the reputation in the community. And you've walked by and heard the whispers of people about who you are and the mistakes that you've made and how you've blown it. 
or maybe you do your best to mask yourself so that nobody would know that you have messed up. Maybe this is where you live. Maybe you do your best to put on the best face to know that you haven't actually made a mistake, but all the while you know the real you and you know deep down what happens in your room when you're by yourself or what happens with him or her or where you've blown it. You know deep down, but you, so you carry so much shame, but she runs in and goes to Jesus. Jesus welcomes her, calls sin, sin, and he forgives her sin. Can you imagine what that does to her? It's not a, thanks Jesus, see you later. She's overwhelmed by it. To the point where she has no regard for what is going on around her. All she can do is be with Jesus. All she can do is weep and anoint his feet and wash his feet with her hair. She can't get enough of being with Jesus because he is the one who has dealt with my sin and given me forgiveness. I need him. So friends, if you have made, are making mistakes in regards to your sexuality, You've stepped into places you don't want to go with him or her. Or you've crossed the line into an identity that is not what God desires. Or you have stepped into images on a screen or videos that you just can't get away from. Jesus is inviting you into something that's far more satisfying. And he's not bringing you condemnation. He's bringing you grace, truth, and forgiveness. So what do we do? What's the response? What's our response? If you're in here and you have baggage because you've made mistakes, here's the first thing that you need to do. You need to come to Jesus because he's most satisfying. You know, there's this scene in John chapter four. Jesus rolls up to this well at the middle of the day. A Samaritan woman rolls up. Jews and Samaritans don't talk to each other. He looks at the Samaritan woman and he's like, hey girl, can I have a drink? And she's like, excuse me, sir, don't talk to me. You're Jewish, I'm Samaritan. This isn't supposed to happen. Jesus begins talking to her and he's like, look, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink and I'd give you living water. And she's like, what? That isn't even a thing, man. She's real confused. So she engages him. She's like, do you don't even have a bucket? And this is Jacob's well. Do you even, are you better than him? Like, I don't know. He's like, look, if you drank from me, streams of living water would flow out of you. It is a satisfaction that would satisfy you in such a way that you wouldn't go to another well. And she's like, oh, great. Give me this water. Give me this water so I don't have to come to this well again. She thinks it's still real water. But Jesus gets to it. Hey, why don't you go call your husband? She's like, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the dude that you're with now, he's not your husband. Jesus calls out the places that she's going for satisfaction and then offers to her a better satisfaction in himself. So friends who carry that baggage of the mistakes that you've made, of the ways that you've blown it, don't leave here in condemnation. Come to Jesus. He's more satisfying. And when you come to Jesus, the second thing is this. I want you to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers. The typical response could be, I don't deserve this. I don't know. You don't know what I have done. And I'm just too messed up. That's just, listen to me. You don't deserve it. That's what makes the gospel so unreal. 
is that you and I, in who we are, in our sin, don't deserve forgiveness, and yet God in his grace extends it anyway. That's what makes the gospel so good. That's a gospel worth receiving, believing, and telling. Receive forgiveness. And then third, respond to him with love out of gratitude, just like the woman does. She receives forgiveness and she responds with gratitude, but respond with love out of gratitude, not out of guilt. She's responding with love because she has received love. Don't think, oh, well, I can just come and act really good for Jesus and he'll love me. No, 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 no. Jesus is extending love to you by grace in himself. That's it. Based on nothing that you've offered. So receive it and be grateful and respond with love. How do we respond to those who have baggage that we know? This is your only job with people that you know that have baggage. Point to the grace of Jesus. Point to the grace of Jesus. Your typical response would be like the Pharisee and identify her mistake and identify their mistake and say, I can't believe, why would you let God convict? Point them to the grace of Jesus that's far more satisfying than the world they're living in.